With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You haven't broken out the Rikers Island jacket in a while. It has been a while. I know. In fact, like, I'm like, no joke. And this is going to sound weird. Like, as I was taking out of my closet this morning, I was thinking of you. I was going, oh man, I'm going to hear it from Florio. I haven't worn this in a while. Here comes Riker Island's uh, Andy Dufresne comment. So, uh, yep. <laughs> I felt like I had to break it out. I-, I know your rotation. You know my rotation. Well, this is your Thursday badly. shirt. I was going to say this That's is like right. a Thursday shirt for you for sure. A hundred percent. That's right. It's Thursday, baby. Here we are. Come on, Whoa. bring it. It's Thursday. Whoa. Let's go. Look at that. Come on, let's go. That's amazing. Wow. Bring Look it. At it. Today, you're the West Virginia head coach. Which one is the real one? I know. It's you in the middle. Which you're one? Peter I Brady think it's in, in the middle. middle. Uh, I yeah. think one way, to, one way to find out is flash the middle finger. All right, Should do, I do it. that? Do it. You won't, you chicken. Should I do that? Why? Do it. You know, yeah, I prefer I prefer to be employed. Okay. That's funny. That's well done. It's Thursday. It's kind of like casual Thursday because Apparently. Thursday is Friday for you. Oh, let me tell you, I got a story for you. I got a story for you because my wife usually isn't up when I come upstairs to do the show. Right. And she doesn't understand my routine. Like at 20 till 7, she says, don't you have a show today? It's like, yeah, I'm going to go take a shower now and get ready. That isn't much time. It's like, how much time do you think it takes me to get ready? Yeah. I, I, know, I, know, I know my rhythms. I know my patterns. Right. So then it's 6.53, and I'm looking in the refrigerator to see what I want to cook for dinner tonight. She's like, you should get upstairs. Like, I know when to go upstairs. Right. And then the coup de gras. You're doing the show in your pajamas. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so many. It's awesome in so many different ways. That right there. I mean, first off, the pajamas thing is awesome, and then you know, I, it, it's you know, typical wife thing, right? Like she's gonna tell you, like well, you do this every day, but this just doesn't seem right. What's what are you doing? What's your schedule? Why are you still here? Hurry up! Uh, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah, very polite ways of telling me to get the hell out of her space. Yes, right. For a rare, a rare. Not, not that, not that she sleeps too much. There's just no reason for her to be up. I mean, we go to bed at the same time. She gets up later. Right. I take a nap in the afternoon to make up for the fact that I maybe get five or so. Last night was a five-hour night. That's not good. Yeah, it's where's your long day? No doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, and I did not sleep in this. For the record. I did not sleep in this, at least not last night. So, uh, well, why? you so, didn't wear it on like PFT PM yesterday or anything, did you? No. Okay. No, then I you're didn't. Good. No. 
then you're good. Yeah. All right, don't worry about it. But so so that's where since it's my Friday, you you feel that you need like is this a good way for you to kind of match it with your casual Thursday, right? That's so I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad it kind of my Friday brings this to the end of the week for you to where you could start relaxing a little bit. And uh, tonight we got a good game, so it's going to be awesome. And what's funny is, to the extent that any of this is funny, and I'm sure plenty think it isn't, I almost put on a dress shirt today, but the one that I pulled out is kind of wrinkled in the front and needs to go to the cleaner. So, uh, you know, I didn't wear it. Yeah. So right. that's that. Don't want to do that. And and that's the thing. You don't, when, when you only wear them for two hours at a time, you don't have to take them to the cleaners quite as often as like when I was practicing law and you would put them on at seven in the morning and have them on until seven at night. They get a little gamey after a 12 hour stretch. So they got to go to the cleaners far more frequently than when they're on for two hours at a time. No so doubt. anyway, but it got wrinkled. It must've fallen at some point and it was wrinkled. So I, I almost blew up the bit unintentionally. I almost changed it up and went dress shirt today. I'm oh, how glad dare that you. I wore you can't my do that. You pajamas can't. instead. Here I am in my pajamas. And uh, this is your Thursday. Go. Look, don't break away from that. And you know, like, wrinkles in the shirt I you know again it has to be really wrinkled for me to put the shirt away if I'm already set on that's what I'm gonna wear like I, I'm I'm the kind of guy that you, you can take the shirt out of the package right it's still got the crease oh I know and you've done it I do you've it all done the, it I do it I know I just go okay it's brand new it's clean yeah there's a few creases in it so what I'm, I'm wearing it today uh, I don't let that affect me too much unless it's just totally crazy like you said just you know just ill looking there is a thing called an iron. It's about the same size as your head, and it's shaped similarly, actually. And you can <laughs> use you. that. That's very nice too. <laughs> you could just run your head under hot water and then rub your head on probably, the shirt. That probably. Would remove this the... thing's heavy and it's made of iron up here. Not a lot of brains, a lot of iron in there. Oddly uh, enough, that you bring that up. I mean, my dad, when he, of course, when he was the lead announcer, right at, at CBS. Before Tony Romo stole his job, right? I mean, I'm joking. Oh, God, here <laughs> we go. I'm having fun. I'm totally having fun. No, <laughs> Romo has no part in that at all. Um, but the fact that uh, he had the iron, all iron, the Phil Sims all Iron Man team, irons, you know, the iron team. And that really came about because, like, everyone was shocked to find out at CBS in his early years working there that he ironed his own clothes and Jim Nance, especially, I think they were all shocked. So it became the, uh, iron, you know, the iron award there. And that's what he would give out for his team every year. So the all iron award didn't come from the fact that these guys are made of it's iron tough, it right, from the right, fact right. that Phil Sims irons his own clothes all, and that gene like many others, did not pass through to his son. It did, it absolutely did not. How much does it cost to dry clean and get an iron, honey? Yeah, send it out. No problem. Don't worry. I'm not doing it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, that's very good. And I'm glad you went there with the whole Romo thing. Because if I recall, one of his sons had some very strong remarks when that happened. I think it was Matt that had some very strong yeah. remarks that yeah. actually... Actually, I had to be walked back. That's how strong they were. Yeah, I think right, it was yeah. Matt. I think it was Matt, too. Let's blame Matt. it on him, for sure. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, let's I didn't get necessarily to it. like how that went down, and it's not against Tony Romo at all. He's the man. I love Tony Romo. I really do. Uh, but, yes, I didn't necessarily like how it went down. Well, you know, if he just hadn't passed gas in the booth in that one game, everything would might have been, been all right. Different. Right. Fart gate yeah. might have done it. Did him in. <laughs> I tried not to use the word. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. That's what I'm here for. People are eating. <laughs> all right. Uh, my God. Well, all right. We're having fun today. It's Steelers Vikings tonight. Super Bowl nine rematch. I won't be reminded of that.
you know, at all sure. during the next two hours. Steelers had the big win over the Ravens and short week. And, you know, the Steelers got a partial gift when the Ravens decide to go for two and put it all on the line there because win or lose, the Steelers didn't have to play beyond 60 minutes didn't have to play up to 70 minutes. And that's one of the reasons why they shrunk overtime. Don't let them tell you otherwise. They shrunk overtime from 15 to 10 to avoid situations like we saw unfold. I think it was for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Was it the Bucs or the Raiders? I think it was the Bucs. Pre-Brady, several years back, they played a game on a Sunday against the Raiders that went almost all all the the way way to 75 minutes. Derek Carr threw a late touchdown pass down the middle to win it with like a minute left in overtime, I believe. Then they had to turn around and play the Falcons on a Mm. Thursday night, and it really was, as Richard Sherman would call it, a poop fest because it was a long, hard-fought game. And then you got to turn around. It's like, well, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna make this Thursday thing work, and trust me, there was a period of time where they were working very hard to make sure Thursday night worked because they found a new place in the pizza to cram cheese. Right. And uh, let's go. We're gonna make a lot of money off of this. We got to make it work. We got to crunch the numbers in a way. You know, the injury numbers. Oh, it's safer to play on Thursday night. I mean, there's been a lot of BS we've been fed over the years, frankly, about Thursday night football, and we all we all just finally accepted it. You hardly hear anyone complain about it anymore. Ben Roethlisberger had a little something to say about it this week, but we just accept it. But anyway, starting in the late afternoon window on Sunday, if they had played another 10 minutes Ooh, no against doubt. the Ravens, that hard-fought rivalry, that would have been a huge disadvantage for the Steelers tonight. A hundred percent. You're right. I mean, they just another quarter of football on a short week, you know, let alone it was a physical game against the Ravens. Always is. We know that with Tomlin and Harbaugh coached uh, football teams. So... Yeah, uh, you know, they, they did. You're right. I never really even thought about that aspect of it, Mike, but they, they dodged a bullet there and the fact that it didn't go into overtime. And, of course, the other aspect of that, too, just, you know, with the Steelers, and we've discussed this over the last few weeks, they're not a very deep football team. You know, so that, that definitely would have handicapped them to a degree tonight uh, because defense, you know, they rely on a lot of guys to play a lot of snaps and help their football team right now. You know, they've been hurt by injuries, and, uh, yeah, something I didn't think about. I know the NFL wants to put the best games in the best spots, but I, I I would like it if the Thursday night teams played in the 1 o'clock Eastern window. Uh, that's smart. If that was possible that's to smart. do. Now, here's the problem. If you're, you know, like the Cardinals playing on a Thursday night, you need a 1 o'clock Eastern road trip the week before, and maybe they would say, well, you know, we don't care about that. We're, we're, we just as soon play – a 425 Eastern game on our half of the country yeah. before we have a Thursday night game because then we got to fly back from wherever we were. Right, and it's, yeah, right. I, so I, I don't know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. It, 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 but but you, you, you definitely don't want a Thurs, uh, Thursday night game after a Sunday night game. Um, but uh, it, it would be ideal to play at one Eastern just to get those extra yeah. few hours could make a difference. But the Steelers are in the eighth spot in the AFC. They're not that far out of it. It's amazing what a difference one win can make when a team is trending downward. And I think somebody was saying last week, they're done, they're done, it's over, it's done. I can't remember who that yeah, was. It was. Maybe me. it was Matt. It was me. Yeah. Sims also. <laughs> but, but, you know, one game changes everything. And they could win this game tonight. I, I, I may pick them to win tonight. I, I, We're doing our Mega Picks podcast coming yeah. up. I may pick them to win tonight. I I, I hear you. I I mean I I get that. I, it's a coin flip game. I think that's what you can say that to this. I mean, of course, Minnesota is not a world beater. 
They're not by any stretch of the imagination. Both teams got their issues. Hey, the go- the game fell right for Pittsburgh last week. They did a great job of hanging around, hanging in the football game all together. You know, Baltimore missed some opportunities to kind of, you know, maybe put them in a two-score advantage to where they could really have Pittsburgh in a bad spot. You know, they didn't execute necessarily the right way. I mean, Baltimore's run game, Lamar made some bad throws and decisions there that hurt them that way. So, you know, that way, in that matter, you know, Pittsburgh, I felt like was a little lucky in the fact that, yeah, I thought they were outplayed by Baltimore. Baltimore at the end of the game, Mike, I mean, again, we, we talked about this a little, I think, on Tuesday. You know, Pittsburgh, all their offensive stats happened in basically in the fourth quarter. And I don't know what happened with Baltimore, but they decided to get like ultra aggressive in the fourth quarter and play these all-out blitz looks and, you know, man-to-man on all the receivers with no safety help in the middle of the field. And, and, and Pittsburgh burned it. I mean, the game-winning touchdown, again, why, why, why Baltimore, why are they not playing to make Pittsburgh kick the field goal? Then you give Lamar the ball to only have to kick a field goal to win the game with Justin Tucker, the greatest field goal kicker in the history of football, but instead they all-out blitz again. And then that was to play Marlon Humphrey, hurt his pectoral on. So, you know, again, I guess I'm still uncertain about Pittsburgh. I don't feel that much better about them. The perception's better. I get that. But I still think there's issues with their football team, and, you know, they're going to have some uh, problems tonight, guarding Justin Jefferson, and we'll see if Dalvin Cook's healthy and, and all of that. But, yeah, they're, they're a hard team to figure out. It's going to be tough for them to make it. The season-ending stretch, not an easy one for the Steelers. They have the Ravens again. They have the Browns again on a Monday night. They, they've got the Chiefs coming up. Right. They do not have no, it's the not good. proverbial or literal cakewalk to try to get into the postseason. Titans. But, you know, as Oh, God. I'll tell you, this is not good for them. But yeah. this is when they're the most dangerous. When everyone starts saying they're done, it's over, that's when they find this reservoir of something that carries them through. Yesterday on PFTPM, Miles Simmons and I put our projected seven playoff seeds together for each of the two conferences, and neither of us had the Steelers. It's like, you know, this just plays into their hands. It's just like last week. They're done. It's over. That's when they they muster something. And I, I, I've, I've been in and around Pittsburgh yeah, my I entire know. life. Yeah. And I was saying a lot. I didn't have the guts to pick them to win against the Ravens. I picked them to cover, and I'm happy I did. But I, there's just something about that team when you write them off, when you stick the fork in them, when you bury them, that's when they're the most dangerous. The Vikings, yeah. though, they're not dangerous when you bury them. When, when they, they willingly do it. And they right, here he goes. Here he started. goes. He loves them. He loves them not. This is going to be a great I day. Don't, uh, listen. <laughs> listen. <laughs> yeah. I speak truth. I don't care. I speak the truth. It was an embarrassing debacle of a loss to the Lions on Sunday. It has sparked the beginnings of an outcry for major changes in Minnesota. The fans have had enough. You know, the whole just good enough bubble yeah. is in the process of being burst because right. this year it's not just good enough. There's no excuse this year. They're too talented. And Mike Zimmer was hyping up the team before the season. He was hyping himself up about what a great coach he is. If they don't want me, someone else will. Well, not to be a head coach, not based on this year. And now they're starting to blame injuries, a little subtle. Everybody's got injuries. Everybody's got issues. Everybody's got problems. Nobody's feeling sorry for you if you don't win games because you have too many injuries. Everybody's got to fight their way through injuries. And, uh, you know, the Vikings have been in every game. Yeah. They could have won 
every game. And when the games are on the line, more often than not, they urinate down their leg, to borrow one of your phrases. So that that's what happened on site. It was inexcusable the way they defended Jared Goff. This isn't Jared Goff 2018. This is Jared Goff barely hanging on to the starting job in Detroit. And if he loses that, it's CFL time if he wants to be a starting quarterback yeah, right, again. Right. That's wow. where this Jared Goff is. And they let Jared Goff carve them up with the game on the line, the season on the line. Embarrassing, unacceptable. And let's see if they can pull it together tonight. But between two embattled teams that are on the ropes and on the brink of being punched through them, I got much more faith in the Steelers. Yeah, I, I hear that. I mean, if it's like a a field goal type game late in the game, that, that would make me a little nervous. It would. I mean, we've seen Minnesota, of course, yeah, so, somewhat, I don't want to say crumble, but not be the best in end-of-the-game situational football to where, yeah, they've lost some games because of it. Of course, that play right there, hey, Courtney, can we play that play again, just the game winner there? Because, yeah, little details messed up, and it's unfortunate um, and especially you don't expect it from a defensive head coach. But to me, if we could slow it down a little bit. See, and let's, let's look at this because I broke this play down on my podcast yesterday. Number 24, Mackenzie Alexander. See him, Mike? He's over the, the, the middle of the three receivers on the left, right? Right. He gets pushed in by the middle of the three receivers on the left, and he has all this help in the inside. He has no business being on the inside shoulder of that receiver. And as watch as it goes, see, he needs to get on the outside. There where he would have been in the lane of this pass by Jared Goff. And as you see as it goes, watch, he takes a step in right here, doesn't need to, got three guys in there, really almost four, and he gets pinned. And because of that, now he's not outside of that receiver in the way of uh, Amon Ra St. Brown, who ends up catching the ball. And, yeah, you know, those are the kind of kind of details. For whatever reason, Minnesota has seemed to mess up at the end of football games this year. And you wouldn't expect it from the defense with Mike Zimmer and how good he is of a coach. I do think a lot of them, yeah, they were injured last week. There was no Kendricks. There was no Anthony Barr. So there was a real thing. There's no doubt. But uh, I just think we've seen this too much. And I understand the Minnesota fan base getting a little frustrated for sure. I know it's a day late for after further review, but after further review, yeah, I know that's a pick. Well, it is. That's he pass interference. Him. The problem is Mackenzie Alexander moves in as he's going there, so he kind of did it to himself to a degree. Either it wasn't like the guy hunted him down; he actually like tried to get in his way. So it worked out as a pick. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was really. The receiver didn't go out of his way to pick him. He ran his route. Mackenzie Alexander ran right decided into to him. jump inside him, right? Yeah. You know, so th that's well, where, yeah, unfortunate for uh, your Vikings. I don't think he's going to stop that play, though. He's too far away, even if he even if he doesn't get picked there. Maybe. Or, maybe or, not. or set himself up to be picked. It's almost like he was setting a screen. He's, yeah. I don't know that he peels away and gets there, but just another reason why it was a horrible defensive design by a defensive head coach who then was – bemoaning the fact that they didn't use sufficiently good two-point conversion plays running it inside well you're the head coach Mike you're the one who's got to be responsible for these things you decide when to go for two and your decision on when to go for two needs to be influenced by how you feel about the predetermined two-point plays that's not 
how it works where you just say, okay, we're going for two. Hey, offensive coordinator, come up with something. Before the game, they have their All menu right. of the plays they would use in that setting. So unless you are completely and totally disconnected from the offense, and there's a chance Mike Zimmer is, completely and totally disconnected, completely and totally abdicated his responsibility for that side of the ball to Clint Kubiak and just says, yeah, go for two without any knowledge of what the play is going to be. That's unacceptable. You need to know. You should know. The good coaches know. The best coaches know what the two-point conversion plays are for that yeah, week because sure. that's a factor in deciding whether to go for two. No no question, Mike. I mean, that, that is part of being a head coach. And, you know, I do think there's – yeah, defensive head coaches who lose fact of or lose sight of some of the little details that are going on in the Not offensive the best side one. of the ball. I know, you're right. Hey, and it goes the other way around too. There's some offensive coaches out there that they lose sight of what their defense does in certain situations because they're so worried about calling plays and doing things that they got to do. But you're right, not the best ones. You know, not the best ones. You're, I mean, of course, and we know who the best one is. Belichick, certainly. He'd be sitting there going, you know, I think we need – you know, more the, the famous story from the Falcons Super Bowl is Belichick kind of having a crystal ball and realizing that this game could get a little crazy. And he tells Josh McDaniels to have a few extra two-point conversion plays in the game plan this week. We might – I don't know how this game's going to go. We might get it a shootout. We might get it behind. Hey, Josh, you know, we usually go into the game having three or four. Let's have six or seven this week. I mean, that is what a head coach does. There's no doubt. And, yeah, I don't love that Mike Zimmer kind of blames the offense. The offense, you know, as you'll say, I mean, you watched it. They've carried the football team for the better part of the year this year. You know, they, they've, the offense has been good. It's been very good. You know, they've had some moments here and there. I understand that. But the offense certainly isn't the problem. The defense has been more of the problem this year. And it's, you know, in the, the bottom, what, 10 in football as far as defense is concerned. Do you think it's possible, and I just had this thought, and sometimes I have a thought and I blurt it out and it works, and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm going to blurt it out this time. Is it possible that some head coaches who are experts on one side of the ball don't get the best possible coordinator on that side of the ball because they plan to be involved anyway, and if you don't get the best possible coordinator, you are more involved than you need to be, and that causes you. You've only got so many hours in the day, only so many days in the week to get ready for a game. Maybe that – because you look at the defensive coordinators in Minnesota. One of the co-defensive coordinators is his son. Hello, the nepotism bell starts ringing again. Does Mike Zimmer have to be involved in the defense because he doesn't have a top-flight defensive coordinator because I'm the defensive coordinator? I I just – I wonder whether it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you don't load up with somebody that you can entrust the defense to because I don't need to. That's my side of the ball. And then before you know it, you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to be the defensive coordinator because the guy you got isn't good enough. I think think that does happen. And, and of course, yeah, they they understand that the perception is, hey, I'm a a defensive head coach, and if our defense isn't good – that looks even worse on me. So, yeah, you do have to roll up your sleeves and then, you know, get a little bit more involved that way. You know, yeah, I think some of the better defensive teams we've seen in the history of football that had defensive head coaches, they had a defensive guy they could really, really trust. Let's say like a Tony Dungy, you know, could really, really trust someone and then he could keep his eye on everything while adding some, you know, 
knowledge to the defense on a weekly basis to go, hey, you know, I think we should do this or that or this and, you know, come up with it that way, whether it was Monty Kiffin or I can't remember who his D coordinator was in, in Indianapolis either way. But, yeah, I, I think there is an aspect of that, Mike, that's true. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, that's what happens when you're a defensive head coach. Listen, I'd rather the defensive head coach be involved in the defense than I hate when the defensive head coach goes to a team and then doesn't do anything with the defense. And then you go, man, what the hell happened? You got this job because of how great of a defensive mind you were. You got to instill your philosophy and your scheme here. Um, and then, okay, maybe when you got that set, you can go back to being the head coach, the manager of everything. But I, I think that's a real aspect, Mike, no doubt. The Vikings, despite their struggles, are in the ninth spot in the NFC. They should, well, not should, they're favored to win tonight. I'm still not sure that they will. They win tonight, and they win against the Bears the following Monday night. They get an, an extra day on their mini-buy post-Thursday night. They could go into the final three games 7-7 seven and seven and be in a spot where if you win two out of three, you're 9-8, and eight and maybe you steal one of the spots. Yeah. I don't know that they can win two out of three when two of the three are Rams and Packers. I think it's all going to come down to week 16 and week 18 if they win the next two. They got to beat the Rams. And then they got to beat the Bears because I don't think they're going to win at Green Bay to complete the sweep for a Packers team that's vying for the number one seed. So that's where it stands. If they don't make it, is Mike Zimmer done if they don't get one of those seven spots in the NFC field? I, I mean, I, I certainly I feel as if – and, again, I, I'm not, like, banging the table for yes or no here. It, it does feel like it's hanging in the balance. I will say that. For the first time in Mike Zimmer's tenure there with Minnesota – I do get the sense that, yeah, people have become restless. Maybe there's that thought of like, hey, maybe we do need to change a new energy, a new message here. Uh, I, I do get that sense. And, yeah, I think, I think there's a good chance. I don't want to say yes or no. I don't know. Uh, I will defend Mike Zimmer still. I will. I mean, again, I, I think they've done a lot of good things since he's been there. They really have. I know they're not a Super Bowl football team. It's not easy to get to the Super Bowl. But they're in the mix you know, almost every year in the playoff conversation. They've upset some teams in the playoffs. Uh, I've had some marquee wins. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I can understand the conversation there in Minnesota and, and that being, you know, on the fence as far as his job status. They had the Seahawks beat in 2015 at home outdoors oh, in that epic man. Bud Grant's short sleeves game. Blair Walsh misses the the 27-yard field goal, I think it was, or they would have they would have ended the Seahawks' run of two straight Super Bowl appearances. That didn't work out. 2017, they beat the Saints with the Minneapolis Miracle, skin of their teeth. 2019, they beat the Saints in overtime in New Orleans, uh, skin of their teeth again. Definitely. There's been too much skin of the teeth for the Vikings. Yeah, too many close games. Too much roll of the dice. Hope it works out. You 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 want to build a team? I think that can overpower a team or two. Yeah, Has they've never had that. Has an easy day right. once in a while. They haven't had that since the 70s. And they had it in the 90s. They had 98 with Randy Moss. The Randy Moss year, they had it all the way until the NFC Championship game. The year they were 15-1. and one. The only loss was at Tampa Bay to Tony Dungy and company. But, um, you know, and this gets back to something I've said about the Vikings before. From the perspective of ownership, what are they really trying to do? Are they trying to go all in to win a Super Bowl, or are they just trying to be just good enough to create the appearance that they're trying to win a Super Bowl? And if you get to the playoffs one year, and you miss them the next, and you go back the next, but if you're in it past Thanksgiving every year, everybody's excited about the possibilities. But at some point, 
you become numb to it because every year you know how the movie ends. Yeah. It's heading the same way. It's purple purgatory. That's what I've been calling it all year. You win one, you lose one. You win one, you lose one. You have just enough hope alive, and then it gets extinguished. And then you beat the Packers, and then you lose two in a row. And it, 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 it's that 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 well, ride has to yeah, end. Yeah. I think the fans in Minnesota have had enough of that. Seems ride. like it. It do, it seems like it. And you know, unfortunately for Minnesota and Mike Zimmer and everybody, it's just. You know, the pieces haven't always matched up cr- quite the right way. You know, where, oh, our defense is really dominant, but our offense isn't that good. And now it's like the offense gets really good and the defense wasn't quite as dominant. And they just never have been able to be that true force of nature that you're talking about that doesn't need to win by the skin of their teeth. You know, they, they, uh, they've had to, you know, be one of the teams and the four or five, are they one of the four or five best teams in the NFC? They're in that conversation. It seems like every year, every other year, like you say, but never, I think other than that NFC championship game year, were they ever looked at as like, Ooh, they might be the best team in the NFC this year. That was the only year I think through the Mike Zimmer tenure that I look at to go, Ooh, that was their chance. And of course they got overpowered by just a bigger, deeper physical Philadelphia Eagles team that had everything and of course went on to win the Super Bowl so uh, that's where you know it's been a little unfortunate for them they haven't been able to match great offense with great defense and have that team you know a whole lot they didn't get overpowered in that game they got out schemed in that game they had too much on tape that they didn't change they didn't self-scout themselves the way they should have and that's something that Zimmer acknowledged after that was his big takeaway maybe when we get to this stage of the season we got to be a lot more cognizant of what our tendencies got to. Got are. To. And, you know, from from the, the the failed tight end chip on Derek Barnett, who blew up Case Keenum when the Vikings were trying to tie it up. And next thing you know, there's a long pass to Torrey Smith and it's game over. It's yeah. 21-7 instead of 14-14. I mean, that was the moment the game was over. Pretty and much. that was all bad offensive scheme. Uh, bad defensive scheme just because it become predictable. And this is why, you know, they say at the college level, one of the benefits of getting to a bowl game is you get an extra month to practice and get your team ready for next year. Well, at the NFL level, if you get to the playoffs every year, you get more and more experience of what it's like to be in the playoffs and what you have to do to coach a team in the playoffs. And you learn from mistakes you make in the playoffs. And the more times you're in the playoffs, the more times you learn and the more likely that lesson is going to come in handy against a team that doesn't have the same playoff experience. Yeah. And that's that's why it's good to get there every year, not every other year. And I, I just I feel like if they don't make it, it's ending. And even if they do make it, I think there's a chance it's ending mm. unless they make some noise against the two seed or the three seed on the road in the wild card round. Now, Dalvin Cook is reportedly trending toward playing oh, I hope that so. awful injury against the 49ers not that long ago. I mean, it's just a what what eleven days ago, yeah, right? And he could be back. I, I, you know, they they need him. They the people who hope to remain employed need him to play tonight. De- definitely. I mean, there's no doubt. Hey, listen, I think this game could be exciting tonight. You know, neither defense is very good, and there's offensive firepower on both offenses. You know, not that Big Ben is like firepower anymore, but Deontay Johnson and Claypool. I mean, that that's a hell of a tandem of receiver. They're star receivers. So, hey, you know, you talk about the Pittsburgh defense matching up and having to worry about Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. They dodge a bullet with no Adam Thielen going to be in the football game either way. But, hey, Minnesota, they can run the ball. You know, they got a, they got a good package of screens and things that make you come up and defend that. And then 
They'll be aggressive, and as we know, Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson is a real threat. It's real. You know, so I would think they can move the ball on Pittsburgh uh, tonight as the game goes on. Again, we've, we've seen Pittsburgh's got issues on defense. It's not an overly talented defense, nor is it an overly deep defense. So now you couple that with, whoa, we got to stop a pretty good run game and a pass game that's pretty efficient and can be very, very explosive. Uh, I think that could lead to some some big moments for the Minnesota offense, and that's where I'm, you know, excited to see the game tonight because I, I do think, you know, and then vice versa when you talk about Minnesota's defense, uh, hey, at least they're a little bit healthy in this game with Kendricks and Barr, and you got Michael Pierce back at defensive tackle last week finally to where you go, ooh, the defensive line looks like they got something, something so I, they got a fighting chance. Pittsburgh's not a great running football team. They try to be patient with it, but – you know, the thing you got to watch for, just like I mentioned with the Ravens-Steelers game last week, the second that your Minnesota Vikings decide to play man-to-man on Claypool or Deontay Johnson, that's the second Pittsburgh and Big Ben go, oh, wow, we can do that. I can throw against man coverage. Everything else, I'm not sure if I can do it. But when it's man-to-man, I know my guy's good, and if I just put it up there for him, he'll go get it. And it could lead, I think, to some exciting plays and, and some points on the board. I've I've changed my mind three times about who I want to pick in this game just based on what you said, <laughs> right? Because it's like, hey, that sounds pretty good for the Vikings. Oh, that sounds pretty good for the Steelers. The one thing you didn't mention, though, yeah. is when the Vikings drop back to pass, yeah. they better have an answer for number 90 in no black doubt. and gold. Yeah, Because if they don't, we know that Kirk Cousins and the book on him is very simple. If the play that's been called is there, he can run it. If the play that's been called falls apart... He cannot make chicken salad. It's just that's over. Right. The that's walls right. close, and that's it. And tonight you got a guy who's a little faster off the edge than most who can get to you and close the walls down. So you got to move even faster to get rid of that football, or TJ Watt's going to have another three and a half sacks. If you get three and a half sacks on Lamar Jackson, you got a pretty good chance of getting a couple on Kirk Cousins because there, there's yeah, fundamental differences be. between the two number right. eights. Yes. Right. Yeah, you do. I mean, you're right about that. That's the Kirk Cousin flaw. If the play breaks down, yeah, he's not going to make anything happen off schedule. He's a less than average athlete, you know, for the 2021 NFL, you know, as we know. I mean, even the the average quarterbacks can run around and make some plays. You know, Kirk Cousins, yeah, that's not what he does. Now, what he does do is if you give him some plays in a scheme – you know, he can read and recognize and react as quick as anybody in football. He's having a phenomenal football year. And I will say this. I've been critical of Minnesota's, you know, pass game or offense in the past. I do think Clint Kubiak has opened up the offense a little bit to where when I watch them, you know, in the drop back pass game, I go, oh, there's some new plays and some new ideas as compared to years past where I've gone, oh, does it always have to be about the run and the boot or the run and the play action? Can they offer anything else? You know, and from that standpoint, too, that's where I feel like, you know, they've done a little a little bit of a disservice to Kirk Cousins. Listen, there's a reason guys like Shanahan and McVay love Kirk Cousins because they know they can just keep installing offense, offense, more plays, more plays, and he'll remember it all, and he'll remember exactly what these coach to do, and then he'll go out there and dice you up if you protect him, like you said. You know, they, they have not always had that formula. They are a little bit better this year, for sure, and he's having a hell of a year. He really is. We can't take that away from him. He's not a superstar. He'll never be. But he's that guy that's always on the fringe top 10 quarterbacks in football, I feel like. And he's that way this year. 
And he's made a lot of big plays in some big moments. But to your point, he's not going to be the guy when, yeah, the team's playing less than, the pass protection's down, or we got injuries, and he's going to go, oh, guys, don't worry, I'll go around and make some plays and throw lasers and extend the plays and do that. that that's not what he is. Well, and one playoff appearance in four years in Minnesota is not what they expected no. when they had gotten to the NFC Championship with Case Keenum, and this was all about taking it to the next level. And first year, they didn't make it. Second year, they did, barely. And the last two years now, they didn't. They still aren't done yet. Yeah. Tonight's game goes a long way towards long deciding way. whether or not they're done. Right. A long way. They, they need this one badly tonight. And I wonder... How many fans are going to show up tonight? How many terrible towels are going to be waving in that stadium? Because we know how the Steelers fans travel. And they don't travel like a college team's fans. They're just everywhere. They're everywhere. They're That's everywhere. Right. That's right. And and they don't see the Steelers in Minnesota very often. They haven't played there much. And the formula of the schedule is supposed to be conducive to getting a team in every stadium at least once every eight years. You know, they've only played there twice since 1986. That's How is the that last possible? time. I don't know. The la this was a great stat that I saw from Chris Thomason yesterday, the St. Paul Pioneer Press. No one on the Vikings team right now was alive the last time the Vikings beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh. That's amazing to me. It None is. of them were alive, but it's but it's because they've only played there twice since then. So uh, just odd that, that the schedules worked out that way. There have been several Vikings at Steelers games. I've been at a couple of them since 1986, and none of them worked out, frankly. Right, right. But uh, uh, this is not – this is a this is a oh, – we need to take a break. Thank God. What a time to take a break. This is a bad rivalry from my childhood memory department. Well, We're yeah. Wait, so how old were you when they, just, when they whooped your guys' butts in Super Bowl Nine? How old were you I was there? nine. I'm always the age of the Super Bowl. Oh, that's good to Super know. Bowl okay, nine. yeah. A nine in Super Bowl Nine. That was a – an ugly, right, defensive football game, 16-6, to six, if I remember correctly, right? Franco Harris was the MVP of that one down in, uh, where was that, New Orleans? They had that Super that was Bowl, right? Tulane oh, Stadium. Tulane Stadium, right. It was that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that was your, you know, you were probably just getting into football at that point, right? I mean, you were probably like first two, three years of really kind of watching it. Second year of being fully engaged as a fan right. it was the Immaculate Reception in 1972 that caught my attention yeah. toward the National Football League. I don't gotcha. know why I didn't become a Steeler fan. If, if you haven't noticed over the last four and a half years, I tend to go against, you know. No, I I no, be. not you. And you? No. I wish, <laughs> I, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now, frankly. In all candor, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I'd been a Steelers fan. Because I would have had that, you know, that desire to see your favorite team win and win and win and win completely and totally satisfied in the 70s. And one of the reasons, frankly, that I continued to be a zealous and passionate fan of the NFL is I saw three Super Bowls, the team that I rooted for as a kid, not go my way. And since 1976, you know, up until, because really, once I got into the business, everything changed. And, th and that's one of the realities. Anybody that's in the business knows. It changes your passion, your loyalty. It numbs you. you you're covering yeah, every right. team. You have to be neutral. Right. And if anything, you're harder on the team that you have a, 
you know, a, a bias for or had a bias. I'm tr- truly at the point now where so, I just don't care. So wait. My son's all into it, and yeah. so I'm happy for him. Right. But I really, it's not like it used, it's nothing like it used to be. Yeah. Nothing okay. like it used to uh, be. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm telling you. Uh, here, no. I'm throwing the challenge flag on that. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. What, 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 what did I say? What did I say Sunday when, when I know I know what's going to happen in these he, games? You know when what's going to happen. They know, I know. They're going to lose. I, I understand. Lose. You've done a great here job of like putting this barrier up of knowing what to expect but the second they win the Super Bowl you're gonna get go streaking through the quad I mean that's just what you're gonna do all right they're never going to they're never going to I've told my son it's going to be one of those scenes where like when the Cubs won you're going to be sitting at my gravestone listening to it on the radio that's what's going to happen or it's going to be your son Having to choose between yours or mine. Hopefully, we're at least in the same cemetery. But that it's—I've accepted the fact that that's how it's going to be. But I've told you this before. Yeah. When 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 I was into it, when I was like passionate, ardent, like if if the Vikings lost on Sunday, I w- I wouldn't watch TV the next day. I wouldn't look at the newspaper yeah. the next day. I'd like pretend it didn't happen. Like I didn't care. Um, and, uh, and if, you know, if they win, then you you have this euphoria that carries you into Tuesday or Wednesday. So I understand the passion of the fans that visit PFT, that come here and watch the show. And that's why when they get mad at me, I don't care. Cause I understand that's how I used to be. That's how I used to feel. And I, I am not that way now. And I, I wonder if I would still be the way I am now, if I hadn't gotten into the business, this is just a function of being mature and older and, and not, you know, not getting so wrapped up about things that you get wrapped up about when you're 30 years old. I, I, I don't know because yeah. I don't have that alternate universe where I can say, well, I, I'd still be a lot more ambivalent than I used to be. Uh, because, you know, as you get older, you just don't give a crap about those things anymore. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I mean, you're right. And then, of course, like you said, once you get involved in the business, it's hard to, to be a total, you know, fan guy because you do know people and you get personal relationships with other people and you do become a little bit numb. All right. So I got to ask you this. I mean, hey, Super Bowl nine, 16 to six, right? The Raiders whooped your butt in the Rose Bowl, Super Bowl uh, 27, I believe. Right. Um, yeah. you got, no, like, it was jo- worse. It was worse than 27, 10. It was like, it was like that one was, man, I'm like pretty good with my scores 13. off my 27, 10 was Super Bowl 12. Oh, that you're was, right. That, that was, was Dolphins, over Cow- I mean, Cowboys, uh, yeah. over D- Broncos. You're right. You're right. You're right. Oh man. I'm, I'm blanking on that score of that game. I'm usually pretty good. I think it was like 34, 13. I should know that too, but I, I try to push those out of my memory. 32, 14. 32, there it is. 14. Good job, Court. Yeah. Okay. So that game. You add that to, uh, hey, the day the Giants whooped Randy Moss and Culpepper and company. 41 nothing. Right. Yes, I remember All right, that the Eagles NFC Championship again a few years, you know, a few years ago. What what was the most crushing Minnesota Vikings loss for you where you were really like at wit's end? Like what what where how do they rank? Oh, I, you know you know what you're setting me up for. And they got their finger on the button That's in the, the one. Room. That's the one. This is the well, play. That one is the low point of the childhood. And as I've said before, if this is the low point of your childhood, you had a pretty good childhood. If this is the low point, when Drew Pearson pushed off against Nate Wright and beat what was the best Vikings team of the 70s. They had started that year 10-0. They capped it with a game in Buffalo where Chuck Foreman took an ice ball to the eye. 
Uh, Fran Targan, it was great that year. The offense was great. The defense was great. But for this moment, Paul Krause, get your ass over there. Get your ass over there. What are you doing, Paul? I, know. I, I, do I loved see you that. as a kid, Paul, yeah. but what are you doing? Right. Get over there and hit that guy. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's the – yeah, that was the worst. That and was 1998, it. 1998 was not good either. Oh, wait, that, that might have been the worst. Yeah. Jeez. That, that was Randy Moss's rookie year. Oh, West Virginia guy. That was it all team. fell together in the yeah. draft. It all worked out perfectly. And I remember it was 20 to 7 near the end of the half because we've talked about this before the whole yep. mentality of trying to go for the knockout blow. The Vikings were up 20 to 7 and they were going for more. Chuck Smith came around the end, forced a fumble of Randall Cunningham because he had that long that delivery motion where he kind of cranked it back, yeah. knocked it out of his hands. Falcons scored a. Uh, I think the next play or damn close to it. It's right. 20 to 14 at the half. That was a far different vibe. I remember those 12 minutes of just this pit in my stomach that, that was just growing and spreading. It's like, I got a bad, fe- I went from having a very good feeling about this to having a very bad feeling. Uh, about it. I, I remember in overtime of that game, right? Overtime of that game. I just wanted it to be, to be over. I, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Just end this damn thing. I can't take it anymore. Because that magical season of 1998 was going up in smoke. I, I was uh, mad too, Mike, because it ruined the Super Bowl. I, can we, I really can we wanted end to the see, show today. We, I wanted to see Broncos uh, Vikings so badly because they were, you know, unlike this year we're watching right now, they were so clearly the two best teams in the NFL. And you went, oh my gosh, we're going to get the 15 and one Vikings against the 14 and two. Broncos, who had started out that year, right, like 11-0 or something like that. They were the last undefeated team. Right. I remember they lost, I think, in New York here to, like, Danny Cannell and the Giants, right? Yeah, so, something like that. And uh, uh, I, I remember being kind of devastated, too. I was rooting for Minnesota because I wanted to see that matchup. I would have been a, an amazing Super Bowl. I was in Baltimore at M&T Bank Stadium or whatever it was called at the time with uh, a friend of mine getting ready to watch – Vikings Ravens as the news came through that the Broncos had lost because uh, that matched the Vikings record at the time because the Vikings had one loss the whole year but it was it was uh, around Halloween at Tampa they lost 27-24 to Tony Dungy's Bucks that was yeah. the only loss of the Randy Moss magical season up until Gary Anderson misses his only kick of the entire year a 39 oh. yarder that would have iced the game and then that was that. That I really, I really would like to just. Can we just like replay this until nine o'clock Eastern? I, I, I'm out of gas. Oh no, we're gonna, that. we're I'm gonna take you through an emotional roller coaster today. That. We are, yeah, yeah, no doubt. You got a lot more. We got a lot we're throwing at you today on this show. You have no idea what's coming for you. So it's gonna be well, a lot of Minnesota lowlights just to ruin your Thursday. <laughs> I know what's coming next. We're gonna have a renewed discussion about when. Tom Brady is finally going to call it quits. He had some comments recently to Sports Illustrated that that show there's a needle he's trying to thread here, and he may not be able to thread it the way he wants to. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. For the world's greatest athletes. 
this is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. Aaron, what kind of uh, trash talk, fun-loving or otherwise, or retribution do you think you might see from the Bears this week after the uh, uh, I Still Own You comment? Well, that comment was to the fans um, uh, who were giving me the bird. Um, but uh, like this trash talk, uh, every single time you play in divisional games, uh, you know, look, I, you know, trash talk is what it is. It's... It's a professional environment. It's not really a personal environment for the most part. Usually after the game, it's uh, it's all love and positivity. Um, I don't know. You can uh, you can question a whole lot of what I said. You know, we've had a good record over the years against them and, and won a lot of games in Soldier Field and at Lambeau Field. A lot of times in, in you know situations like this, the trash talk is only able to be used if uh, you know if you're getting after that uh, individual. That, there was trash talking. So in order to trash talk, you have to have a lot of confidence in uh, what you've accomplished and uh, what you're going to accomplish in the future. At some point, what I said will be used against me. That's just part of it. But I have no, uh, you know, no regrets for saying what I said. And, and uh, obviously, I think the, the record kind of speaks for itself. But I get it. At some point, that will be used against me. It is what it is. I don't, I don't regret saying it at all. Well, here's the bottom line. I like it, he, though. He, he, he did what he did in the heat of the moment yeah. without being consciously aware of the fact that he's going to play the Bears again this year. And you know what the Bears are going to do. They're going to play this clip over and over again to their guys. Yeah. I own you, I own you, to get their guys fired up for the game on Sunday night. <laughs> Matt Nagy said on Wednesday, the Bears coach, when he was asked about it, yeah, we're aware of it. Yeah, of course they're aware of it. You use anything you can to motivate your team. The Bears are up against it on Sunday night. Their season is on the line. Yeah. They're done if they lose another one. And they got a tough draw to go to Lambeau Field and play the Packers in primetime. So, yeah, the, the fact that Aaron did that can and will be used against him. And it's not just going to be used against him when the Bears win. It's going to be used on Sunday night as an effort to try to cajole the Bears to win. Yeah, sure. It is. You know, it is. But, I mean, he explained it right. I don't think he gives a crap. That's what's awesome about it. He doesn't care. He knows he's Aaron freaking Rodgers. And the facts do, you know, kind of present themselves in a way where, yeah, he owns them. He does. You know, I mean, their best football team they've had, you know, in the last 11 years. He still went in there in the NFC Championship game and beat them. Uh, and so, yes, he has quite the incredible record. See, this is, the, this is where I love Aaron Rodgers, the fact that, hey, he understands. He knows it's going to be used against him. It's part of the heat of the moment. It's talking trash. You know, it was towards the fans. It wasn't towards the players. So, hey, yeah, it's going to be used a little bit to motivate the team. 
But it's not like he was in guys' faces on the defense doing that. That would have been a different thing. If he was like, you know, in Robert Quinn's face or Roquan Smith's face going, I own you and putting on the championship belt, that would be a different thing. And that, Well, it would have been flagged. Yeah, it would have been flagged. But, and that would have been real, like, you know, pissed off emotions from the Bears if that happened. Um, they're going to try to use that. We know that. But, man... You know, Rodgers, he's on fire right now. He really is, and I don't think he's all that concerned with, with anything right now. Anytime you talk about getting in guys' faces now, I have this flashback to the day that you provided the very graphic <laughs> Dangling your man of, junk in front of <laughs> – You didn't have to say it again. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that's what I thought of. You know, yeah. I, I led the horse to water, and you went ahead and <laughs> I drank. gobbled up the pond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, l- l- let's let's move forward. But th- that is the Sunday night game. And, and I go on the score in Chicago, Tuesday mornings and Wednesday mornings, and they are dreading this. They are dreading the potential for national embarrassment of the Bears on our air and primetime by the Packers because they just see no way the Bears are going to win this game. And I, didn't the Washington Generals beat the Globetrotters at least once? I mean, it can happen. We saw the Titans lose to the Texans not that long ago. It can happen. This has been a crazy upside-down year. It can happen. Do I think it will? No, but it can happen. Yeah, of course. It's the NFL. I mean, we know that. One one or two mistakes from Green Bay, and all of a sudden you're in a game that's, oh, no. We're down by three in the fourth quarter. I mean, there's no doubt. But I think our evidence shows us at least that, you know, you're right. You know, not, not that they have no chance, but certainly all things favor Green Bay. Between the way Rodgers is playing, they're so efficient on offense. They're pretty balanced, too. And the defense, I, I don't know. I think the defense is as good as I can remember. Maybe back to the year they won the Super Bowl or, or were the number one seed the year after. I don't remember the defense being this good. And I think between that, you know, that's where I look at the Bears, where we know we're – inconsistent they can rush the passer a little bit all over the place on offense yeah they're they're it's an uphill battle and Green Bay of course has something to play for they're trying to get that number one seed and make everybody come up to Lambeau like we talked about yesterday on Sunday night coach Dungy was the only one on football night in America who picked the Broncos everybody else was on the Chiefs I I suspect it's going to be a clean sweep when it's time to pick the games Sunday night it's going to be all Packers so if the Bears win you know we're going to be hearing about it from the Bears' social media set, because how dare we believe that past performance is an indication of what's going to happen on Sunday night? No, I know, and I would expect it. And, and, and gosh, I wish some people would pick the Bears. I need to make up some games. I mean, I was on until last week, I was on a six-game losing streak on Sunday night football. It was embarrassing. My son's embarrassed for me for my record on Sunday night football, so... Uh, I'm well, not gonna... you could let your son. You could let your son pick, and then when you stink, you could blame him on the air, like, like others did. have done in the past. <laughs> yeah, I know that was the best. Rodney's blamed America and his son for bad picks before. It's great. <laughs> oh God! All right, Tom Brady, one of Rodney's former teammates, the Sports Person of the Year for the second time in his career. Only a 16-year gap between winning the two awards. Some comments uh, that he made in connection with that award regarding figuring out the right time to say enough NFL football. Here's Brady. What makes you say, I don't want to stop? I think that a couple things. You know, one is, you know, the competition's fun. And, and uh, you know, I'm still pretty good at it, too. And if I stopped, I think I'd have to find something else that I'm pretty good at. And I don't think that, you know, I'm going to be able to jump into something that has the same amount of 
excitement. Football pushes you in ways that not a lot of other things can. How hard is it to motivate? I mean, how how hard is it to do? I think that the emotional and the frustration part, like I said, is the hardest part. I'm dealing with, you know, how do I, how am I not tortured by the game? How am I not tortured by small wins? You know, because I think everything should be a big win all the time. You know, if it's not perfect, then why do it? That's kind of... Why, if the game plan's not perfect, why should I do it? If the plays aren't perfect, why should I do it? If the pass isn't perfect, why should I do it? And I think that's a little bit of the torture. And the, I think the perspective on that is if you don't get a chance, like I imagine not playing, and I imagine me watching football on Sunday going, man, these guys suck. I mean, I could do way better than that. And then still knowing in my heart that I actually could do it. That's, that's what you, you project. Yeah, that's forward. what I think. In my Oh, I'd think that. And that's one side of the balance playing because you know, you could still do it. You don't want to stop. Here's the other side. And he said this as well. Regressing would be a very difficult thing for me to see. As soon as I see myself regress, I'll be like, I'm out. I don't really want to see myself get bad. So it's just a constant pursuit of trying not to be bad. He said that 2014, I'll retire when I suck. And he has only gotten better since 2014. So for him, this is the needle. There's there's another component I want to talk about separately, but as it relates to physical ability, the needle for him to thread is to stay long enough so there's no regrets when he turns on the TV the next year. He doesn't say, boy, I could still do that. But you don't stay so long until you're there proving to yourself and everyone else that you can't do it. Right. So when do you find the right time to just take the keys out of the car and throw them in the river? That's yeah. going to be very difficult to do. No doubt. I, I think he will know, though. I will. I do, I do think that. You know, like we've talked about, I mean, he's, he's still got an arm that's, that's special. I mean, so th- there's no stopping that as of right now. You know, and, and again, I think, you know, he's – I don't want to see him bad. I don't. You know, I know think most of the world thinks I don't, like, love Tom Brady. I, I, I do. I really like uh, – You love him. You just think he cheated. Well, I, I mean, do. I think that, that and I get a little tired of all the GOAT talk all the time, and I want to go well, – there was other Hall of Fame players and the greatest coach ever. Can we give some of them some credit? Like, it's not just him. It's not. So that's where I get frustrated at times to try to point out, like, it's a team sport, and nobody's benefited from the team aspect more than Tom Brady. That's really what I try to, like – try to emphasize to people and then they go oh you're a hater you don't think he's great I go no he's great there's no doubt about it I'm not like ever denying that you know but yeah I don't want to see him not be good I don't it's like watching Michael Jordan you know at the end of his career I was like damn please retire you're you're erasing some of the memories away and now you're in this wizard uniform and you got a 10 inch vertical and you know you're you don't look the same it's getting that way for LeBron James right now in L.A. I you know, start to watch a little basketball right now where I go, I, uh, I don't know. It might be coming to an end here. Please retire maybe here soon because I don't want to have these memories. And I understand that from Brady. The, the thing he has, you know, compared to maybe some of the guys in other sports, a.k.a. like a Jordan, all right, something like that, would be, you know, he's still on a great team. And the thing that he can do – really great, which is throw the football and make decisions, you know, does not get affected by the things that are starting to go downwards a little bit, whether it's him hanging in the pocket and wanting to get hit or hang in there and get hit to make the throw, right? We've shown plenty of examples of that's an issue with him, especially here later in the career. 
you know, maybe not quite the, the greatest athlete he used to be, you know, but he's in a sport and on a team right now that those weaknesses that he has at 45 years old or 44, however old he is, they don't get really shown. You know, it's like if, if Michael Jordan could have played basketball and you would have gone, hey, don't guard him, just let him shoot his fadeaway jumper from the, you know, the baseline, I'd go, well, he can play forever. He'll keep knocking those down, definitely. And that's where Brady is. He's in a situation where the team's great, they protect him great, they got a great scheme, and then his decision-making and throwing is still top-notch. So why give it up right now? Why? And I don't see any – it's not coming next this year, and it's not coming he's – he's coming back next year with the way he's playing. I mean, crap. Damn guy's going to win the MVP of football this year right now, it looks like. To tie it back to what we've already talked about, he's basically Kirk Cousins. He's basically Kirk Cousins. He, he's Kirk Cousins with a better feel for the game and a more explosive arm. That's what he is. You're right. right. That's what he is with a better team but you around him. Flip-flop those two. You flip-flop those two, and Brady is flopping around like you know the the fish that was yanked into the boat in Minnesota more often than not because they can't protect the quarterback in Minnesota the way they protect the quarterback in Tampa Bay. Yeah, right. I, you know, again, I, now this is going to make people think that I'm I'm a hater, but yeah, of course, that's what I try to explain to people. You put Tom Brady up in Buffalo right now or some of these other places where the great quarterbacks are playing with less than support, I'd go, it's not going to look the same. You're crazy to think that's going to look the same, you know? But he's in the right spot for him at this point of his career. And, yeah, you know, I think your comparison to Kirk Cousins is real. Other than, you know, he's bigger than Kirk Cousins, so he can throw over people more. I mean, Brady's six four and a half, and he's got really long arms and big hands. And his arm... Again, you minus you minus like Rodgers, Allen, Mahomes when he's on his you know best best playing his best, which he's not right now. You know maybe a Deshaun Watson when he's in there and Justin Herbert. I mean after that, Brady's in the conversation for that next best arm in the group. I mean his arm every week. I go holy crap! I watched the Atlanta game the other day. He made some throws in that game, and I just go, it's as good as he's ever thrown it. So. Why quit? And uh, I, I can understand him probably being tortured if he was playing less than or, or didn't like the product when he watched the film the day after a game. And you've said before he'll have that arm into his 50s. And at one point not that long ago, he actually threw out 55 as an upper yeah. limit on how long he could physically do it. The question is, can the rest of your body allow right. you to do it? Can you avoid the hits? And we saw it almost implode on the Buccaneers in the NFC Championship when he started throwing the ball up sure. for grabs to avoid big hits. We've seen it before. We saw the Washington it in, game last a few year. weeks ago. It happened really same type of thing, right? Yeah. When they lost, they got pressure. He was shaky that day. So that's one of the things he's going to have to consider because he doesn't want to leave too early. He doesn't want to stay too long. And in theory, and I've said this. It can happen during a season. It could. It, it just doesn't happen between February and July because he's constantly working. That's the thing. He doesn't shut it down. Like, as you're constantly working and, and, and trying to improve, like, at what point, how long does it have to sustain itself where it's not just a bad day? Like, I just had a bad day. Oh, wait, I had two bad days. Uh, I'm in kind of a bad week. Well, let's see how I feel next week. Oh, boy, it's a bad two weeks. It's going to be an awful realization for him. When Father Time finally catches up and he talks about what he's going to do next, when you've given your whole life to the one thing that you do as well, if not better than anyone's ever done it, what other what other skills yeah, have you hard. developed? That's yeah. going to be the challenge for him. Sure. 
No, you're right. I mean, it is. It's it's a it's a hard thing to fill that void, you know, in your life from football. And and listen, I'm I'm speaking from my own experience where, you know, again, my career was nothing. I, I didn't do anything special. You know, just as I was starting to get going, I got hurt, and my you know my career was never the same. So uh, I I but I know as I've told you before, when my career ended. I, I felt like I lost a family member. I mean, I, I, I was devastated for a long period of time. I was crying on Sundays. Hey, my dad, he did have a great year, a great career, 15 years. You know, I can still remember, hey, he was restless too. Couldn't believe he wasn't playing. I, I, the, the, his, the year after he retired or, or didn't play for the Giants after they released him, my dad being one of the first salary cap casualties in the history of football, you know, he, he wrestled with the idea of coming back. And I couldn't play football because it was my eighth grade year and I was too big to play. So he stayed in shape because he almost signed with Tom Coughlin and the Jaguars. He went to Cleveland to sign with Belichick and company, but the Browns were broke at the time and they couldn't even pay him. And he wasn't going to move the whole family for like the league minimum. Um, so we had that. But, you know, he was still – my dad was still like, man, I could still play. This is crazy. You know, and I would go over to the field and catch footballs for him so he could keep his arm in shape and stay ready. Almost went to Arizona with Buddy Ryan and the Cardinals. Um, so you know, that's going to be a tough thing for Brady, him more than anybody, because of how long he's done it, how much of a perfectionist he is. I would think the void really is going to be, yeah, a tough one to fill for him maybe more than anybody in the history of football. I have two more points that I want to make, but I can't let – the comment that you made go that you were too big to play football in eighth grade. What the hell does that mean? I, because, you know, they have weight limits and things. So I like in seventh grade, I went into seventh grade at probably like five foot four. And I got to eighth grade and I was like six, two, I grew like 10 inches in a year. And I had to lose like 10 pounds to play offensive line for eighth grade football. And I was like skinny and like had feet the size of Ronald McDonald. And my dad was like, you're, you're not going to, we're not going to make you lose 12 or 14 pounds to play line. Like that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, I, that's what I did that year. And I learned to throw the football a little bit better. I started varsity as a freshman in high school, but yeah, that's, that's what my life was there that year. It was a great year. See, we actually. had a weight limit. We had a weight limit on who could carry the ball, who could handle the ball, right? But right. there was no weight limit on on uh, who could you know get down in the trenches and throw guys around. Maybe there should have been. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay. So so th th there was something else that he said. It came up a little bit in what we played earlier. His sit down with John Wertheim, and he said some more along those lines. It made me think of someone else. If anything, the most challenging part is the emotional aspect of football for me, Brady told Wertheim. When we lose, it's depressing. When we win, it's a relief. It's not like the joy, the happiness. It's a relief. Uh, because when we win, sometimes winning isn't good enough for you. Expect perfection, et cetera. You know who that sounds like? Bill Parcells? Ding. Yeah. Because that's why he quit. Right. That's why he got out. Yeah. The wins no longer brought him pleasure. Yeah. The losses brought him nothing but pain. When it gets to that point, I'm out of here. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a real aspect of that. And, yeah, you know, you, you know, a lot of these guys, especially a Brady or Belichick or Parcells or whatever, Peyton Manning, you know, they're, they're, they're perfectionists. They're expect, they expect greatness every, every day, every week, and they expect to win and be great every game. So when they win and then they're not great, they're kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, we won, that's good. But, damn, I mean, you, you'll be mad and – 
and like frustrated that night, even though you won. I mean, I wasn't worth a damn, and I went on some streaks where I went, man, we won and great, but damn, I didn't play good, and you're tortured a little bit. So I can't imagine how those type of guys feel. I can't imagine. And yes, the, and the loss has become soul crushing to these guys, to where it ruins their week. They're probably grumpy with their wife and kids. He probably realizes that. And yeah, that's something that he's certainly going to have to continue to deal with here, you know, down the home stretch. The, the one last point I want to make before we take a break, it relates to something you said earlier about how the team makes all the difference in the world for a quarterback. And I, I say that because I do a Wednesday morning early spot on WFNZ in Charlotte, and they're all up in arms now because the Panthers are falling apart after they had started 3-0 and and giving them hope, and it was exciting, and hey, maybe this could be a year that we do something. And now not. And now they're they're wallowing in regret and one of the hosts said to me yesterday about, Hey, we could have had Mac Jones. Like, yeah, but Mac Jones only works in new England and we're going to potentially have an early career Mac Jones that looks a lot like early career Tom Brady. And if Mac Jones was with Joe Brady and Matt rule, Things will Mac look different. Jones, right. Mac Jones isn't the runaway favorite to be the offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's exactly right. You know, the support system's real. I mean, again, and, you know, especially that early part of your career, Brady got to develop into something, you know, and then you get the pressure of, wait, we won the Super Bowl at an early part of your career. You start to go, wait, we've done that. There's no longer that question or pressure, and we did it, and I can do it, and you have the confidence and that's where you look at most like all-time great quarterbacks. They most of them got a Super Bowl win kind of earlier in their career, and then they can just go, "Man, the pressure's off, and I know I can win in the big game." And that's usually where it explodes. Every you know, Troy Aikman, he was in the first few years. Montana was in the first two years. Brady, you know, Bradshaw was probably what a little farther down the road, maybe year four or five, right, somewhere in there. But you know, there is there is something to that, and the support system is crucial. Again, it's crucial. I mean, if people don't think like Dan, Mar Dan Marino, I mean, he's a great example. Come on. He's definitely one of the five or six greatest quarterbacks in the history of football. You put him on the 49ers, you put him on my dad's Giants, he wins Super Bowls, period. Like, it's, it's unfortunate. He just never had that team around him. And uh, that is part of the sport. And you're right, Mac Jones would not be the same if he was in, in, in Carolina. It would not be the same story. Hey, I think they, I think they thought – the 49ers were going to take Mac Jones, so they made the move to get Sam Darnold because they didn't think Mac Jones was going to be on the board then. They coached Mac Jones in the Senior Bowl. I remember them making the comments about how special they thought he was and everything. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure on draft day they were like, what, they're taking Trey Lance and we could have had Mac Jones? Oh, crap. Um, but, you know, nobody expected the 49ers to do what they did. Let's take a break. We'll return some injury updates as week 14 of the 2021 season arrives. We'll have more PFT Live right after this.